Y'all, can we give our choir just one more hand for all the hard work they've done? Thank y'all so much, Helen. Um, it's, we just appreciate all the music, especially all the time, but especially this month. And uh, it's been so much fun. We, we've been blessed. Um, absolutely. Let's pray. Lord, use my voice. Use our minds and our ears. Use our imaginations, whatever you need to use, God, so that we might not just hear the good news, but receive it, not just receive it, but to live it. Amen. So, we've been tracking Joseph all the way through his life. We got teenage Joseph, young adult Joseph, middle-aged Joseph, uh, Last year, I mean last week, we got a sort of older middle-aged Joseph who reconciled with his brothers. And, and now we just got just plain old Joseph, right? How many of you consider yourself old? Raise your hand. You don't have to raise your hand, but you can. Okay. How many of you just feel old in all this heat, right? Um, yeah, we do. So we get to see this glimpse of Joseph, and he settles in Egypt. His father Jacob gets to enjoy his son uh, Joseph for 17 years. He thought he was dead, remember? And then he came over, and now he is in Egypt. And his father finally passes away in old age, and they, they bury their father. If you live old enough in this life, you'll do that. Joseph's brothers are feeling really guilty still, and they're feeling especially vulnerable now that Father Jacob has died. What if Joseph really didn't forgive us, but was waiting on Daddy to die in order to get back at us for what we did? And so they concocted a speech and sent the speech to Joseph, and Joseph wept when he heard the speech. And they made up again. He said, you've got nothing Nothing to be afraid of. I love you. You're my brothers. You're not my slaves. You're my brothers. And he said to them, God's going to take care of you. And you'll get that promise from God. Now, Joseph is tending to the business of saying goodbye. And friends, if, you're long, if you live long enough in this world, you sort of get good. It's saying goodbye. We do that over and over again. And as we grow up, we'll see more opportunities. But this isn't really a sad chapter of his life, I don't think. I think this is getting to the good part. Because he told them finally what, what sometimes it takes a lifetime to, to go through and to live. You have to see your life and it kind of starts to make sense. Maybe looking backward and all the pain and the heartache the good and the bad. And Joseph told his brothers, don't worry what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Dag Hammerskold said this right before he died. He was, a, um, he was the second leader of the United Nations. He was a Swiss economist, a brilliant man. Before he died, he said, to all that has come before, I say thanks. And to all that is to come, he said, yes, yes. Here in the last 
chapter of Genesis, Joseph says, you know what you meant for evil, brothers, God meant for good. It's an echo of Genesis 1. Genesis 50, the last chapter, what God meant for evil, what, God, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And it echoes all the way back to God calling God's creation very, very good. Joseph looks back on his life and sees a mixture of good and bad. Colorful dreams, an awesome coat, a dad who loved him. He saw survival, false imprisonment, betrayal, life, death, abundance, famine. Joseph saw it all because he lived a long, long time, 110 years. He saw times when he was a nobody in the bottom of a jail cell. Joseph saw a time when he had the best job in Egypt. And surprise, surprise, there's always one more actor in the story. God, right? Your story, my story, our story cannot be told without God. And Joseph sees God's fingerprints all over it. That's what we remind each other every Sunday, right? That God's all a part of our lives. That you're not all alone and I'm not all alone. And we're not captive to the worst thing that ever happened to us or the worst thing we ever did. That there's a God who's greater than that who rises us up like the sun falls, like the choir sang. Really, there's a the theological word for it. It's called providence. It's when you're able to see that it wasn't just you on the stage in your life. That every turn of your life good bad who knows sometimes it's hard to know where the blessing of the curse is but every step of the way God was there for all that has come before I say thanks and for all that is to come I say yes now a word to our older adults in this sanctuary if you believe I'll let you classify yourself that way I won't call it how do you approach old age how do you approach these years in your life where, you know, you know you're a little closer to the river, a little bit closer to Beulah than maybe you are from the start? How do you approach that? I mean, if you live, all, you, you've told me this before, but growing old is not for the faint of heart. Can I get an amen on that? Oh, my goodness. I mean, because... You ultimately do, all of us, if we live long enough, we'll face loss as we, as we age. Loss of health, loss of mobility. You might look back and grieve the loss of your career, what might have been. You might even struggle with the loss of purpose. But I want you to know, I want you to know if you've made it as far as Joseph has made it, Make no mistake how critical you are to the life of our church. I'm not going to call you old people. I'm going to call you sages. Can I call you sages? People who have walked further down the journey than I have are critical to my faith. If you're mature and up in years without you, I lose perspective on my soul. And I'm liable to drop for lack of hope. With you in the room, sages, I'm reminded that our lives are part of a greater whole. That you've got stories that are long before I was born that you can tell and you can share. That one day when you were young, you looked up to somebody, maybe right here at St. Luke's United Methodist, 
who taught you something about life that you carried on and that you're carrying this torch for those of us who are younger. We who are younger in this room want you to know how important you are to our faith. And I want you to claim it because we just bestow it upon you. What a great honor. What a boring church this church would be without our sages, right? One time I went to this church and it was hip, baby. It was awesome. They had dry ice coming up. Their preacher had on skinny jeans. He had the tattoo on the bicep when he made his, he did like that kind of thing. It was the coolest thing I saw. I didn't see anybody over 30. And it was the weirdest experience in my life. It was weird. Because I've always grown up in faith communities where there's sages and people who are mature and who've gone through the ups and downs of life have helped to guide me and put things in perspective. I don't want to be a part of a young church. I want to be a part of a church of all people. Can old people still dream? Yes, they can. And yes, they do. We need your dreams. That's what Pentecost was all about. Said young people would see visions. Old people would dream dreams. Spirit that filled that room. That was Joel's dream from the gospel. I mean, not from the gospel of Joel, but from the prophet Joel. I'm so glad we're in a mix of young and old. I can remember in January, we talked about it. A young person got up and said, I'm so glad when I come here, I see people who are faithful to St. Luke's who are older, that gives me hope. And then an older person got up and said, I am so glad we've got a church that has a lot of young people. It gives me life and spunk. Puts a, step, a pep in my step. So I'm asking you, if you're older, I appreciate it. Because I know, we know that it's harder to get to church as you get older. You've got to clear a few more um, uh, hurdles, you know, to get here. And we appreciate that. You help put things in perspective for us. You bless us. You bless us. And maybe toward what you might think is the end of your life, who knows, our, all of our days are numbered, who knows. But if you feel like you're closer to Beulah Land or closer to that, ri uh, that river, who knows that now is not the greatest purpose of your life, which is to minister to younger people who need your knowledge and your wisdom, your skills. You're critical. They say that when an older person dies, a library burns down. You ever heard that? It's so true. That's why, like at the University of Southern Mississippi and other places, there's an oral history department. And that's why right after Hurricane Katrina, they, they got people to talk about what that was like so that 150 years from now, people will know. That's why in the works of the WPA back in the 1930s, they got old enslaved people. And it's the only recording because, you know, People who were enslaved were not taught how to read that would make them dangerous, right? And so in the 20s and 30s, these very old enslaved people talked about what it was like to be enslaved. It was not a pretty picture. But without their wisdom and without their compassion and love and truth-telling, we would have no idea what it was like to be owned by another human being. 
I cherish the stories that have been told by my granddad and my grandmother. And you know, as my, as my dad gets older, I want to hear more stories. Because when I do, I get a blessing. I get a blessing. I feel like I might miss out on something. I want to hear the funny stories and the sad stories. But I want to hear them from you too. Um, and it's important. And now I got all messed up. So I don't even know where I'm in my notes. But hang on just a second. I'll get my, I'll get, can old people still dream? Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. I'll tell you this. Um, I, I truly, that's what I love. I love hearing the stories. I love reading these stories of Joseph. And I love hearing the stories of people who are older than I am. You know, as a pastor, sometimes um, I, I, I've kind of backed in accidentally to some of the most amazing stories. One time there was this old World War II veteran and I was over at his house, and, and we were just talking. I had no idea that he never, ever talked about what happened to him or what he experienced in World War II in the European theater. So we were all in a room, and I was just innocent, and he said something about serving, and I said, where did you serve? And he started talking, and here's the story that he shared with me that day. His name was Ben Wright. He was in the European theater. And he shared something he'd never shared with a group that he was sitting with. He was in his Jeep and on an errand to get some wire when he took a wrong turn and got lost. And he ended up in enemy territory. When he turned a corner, he was staring down the barrel of a German 88 gun. These guns could destroy tanks. He saw the soldier make a move to engage, so he jumped out of his Jeep just in time, right before the jeep exploded. He ran out into a sugar beet field somewhere in Germany or Poland or somewhere in the European theater. And thinking, he said, he said, you know, I knew that they were going to start searching for me in this field because somebody saw me run into that field. So he snuck in what he thought was an abandoned house he walked up the stairs into a room so that he could look out the window and see what was going on out there. And he busted up, and it was an old woman's room, and she was sitting there on a rocking chair. Guten Morgen, he said. Good morning. Ben was startled. The old woman, this German, was startled. And, um, and he was facing the open door with this gun, and he was scared to death, thinking... This was going to be it for him once the Nazis rolled upstairs. And then he heard her say, Neen, Neen. And she pointed under her bed. Then he looked at the room when he said that and he smiled and he said, Not all Germans like Hitler. And for the next two days, he lay still under the bed while the Nazis came in and out of the house. And when they served her meals, she snuck cornbread under the bed to him. He lived off that in his canteen until the Allied forces pushed the Nazis away and he could get out from under that bed. When I got back, he said, trembling, after he told that story, I was a nervous wreck. I could not sleep. I woke up dreaming that I still had that gun in my hands. On Memorial Day, 
July 4th, I have a hard time going out because it's too painful of a memory to him. The things that happen at war, he said, they haunt you. But, he said, and he smiled, under that bed, an old German woman kept me alive. And that was the best tasting cornbread I ever had. If you live long enough in this world, there's going to be some pain. That's the Joseph truth. Something's lost. But there's a way to see that God was working through all of it. God doesn't cause our pain. God is not trying to punish us if something bad happens in our life. That's, 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 that's not the point. The point is, though, that everything bad that happens in our lives, God can turn inside out and turn it into something beautiful towards a good purpose. They say, please forgive us, Joseph. The brothers are like, please forgive us. Don't kill us. Daddy said be nice to us. And Joseph sees a good God. He sees a good God turning his life and lifting it into a good purpose. Joseph, when he dreams about his life and thinks about being sold into slavery and being falsely accused and thrown into jail, he can still taste that cornbread. And he knows that God was with him after all. You see, in God's time, we eventually get to the good part. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Joseph looks ahead too. He dreams a little bit too. He'll most certainly take good care of you. Joseph blesses his brothers. He has one request at the end. He says, get my bones out of here when God gets you out of here. Take my bones with you. Joseph offers his life to God to God's good purpose. It's not just Joseph's dreams. It's God's greater dream, which will outlive us all. You and I have hitched our wagon something greater than even Beulah land, something gets us across the river. Joseph embraces it all. To all that has come before, I say yes. To all that is to come, or thanks to all that is to come, I say yes. I love that he wants his bones out of there. See, that connects them to God's promise. If I'm lucky enough to make it to 85 or 90, I hope I embrace the blessing. I hope I can bestow it upon others. Truth is, I don't even have to wait, right? If you're a middle-aged person or if you're young, every goodbye is a practice for the big goodbye. So say your goodbyes well. How will you bestow your blessing? Ken Dyer, a writer, wrote this. Toward the end of his life, what pictures will my son remember when he comes to the plain granite marker over his father's grave? What will my daughters remember or my wife? I've resolved to give fewer lectures, to send fewer platitudes rolling their way, to give less criticisms, to offer fewer opinions. From now on, he says, I'll give them pictures they can live by. Pictures that can comfort them, encourage them, and keep them warm in my absence. Of all I can give to make their lives fuller, richer, more prepared for the journey ahead. Nothing compares to the gift of remembrance. Pictures that will be there when I am not. Pictures that will have within them a redemption on their own. End of quote. We all possess within us the power to bless. Do you know that's the one thing you can't do for yourself? You need somebody else to bless you. 
And you need to bless somebody else. We can look back and see God in all of our lives. We can pass on to those who will outlive us blessing, hope, forgiveness, reassurance, kindness, love. After all, what else is there? What's more important in the end of my life is to know that I loved and I was loved. I let myself, let others love me, right? Isn't that what the eagle said? You got to let somebody love you before it's too late. If we get to the point late in life, if you're lucky enough to make it to 90 or 85, perhaps it's the greatest purpose of all. To all that has come, I say thanks. To all that is to be, I say yes. May your life be a blessing and a remembrance. And may your, all your goodbyes be good, good, good. Let us pray. Oh God, as we get to, as we all move closer to that river, bless those who are closer. Bless those who are sages in our church. Pray that they always feel honored and loved and known. Pray that they know that they still have dreams and still have a purpose. And may your good purpose be at work in all of us so that we might be a blessing to all people. In your name we pray. Amen. Bruce, stay here just a minute. Stay here just a minute. And we're so grateful for Bruce. I know everyone is. And these beautiful messages we've had this month about Joseph. And um, I, just want to, I, I just want to tell you this story. I might have told you this story before, but I'm going to tell you again so they can know it. You know, when we started camp meeting, the very first hymn we sang, does anybody remember what it is? what it was revive us again okay and I hope you felt a, a sort of revival this month or a big revival this month um, and I told you a little story about brother Scott who used to be pastor at this church a long time ago when Miss Dottie was younger and uh, 